Well, over four years ago, God brought a new family to our church, Chad and Dandy Hussey. At that time, they had uh, Sky and Dylan, and they were a wonderful part of our church, church family. And about three years ago, God uh, began to stir in Chad's heart to pursue full-time ministry. And so they moved to Louisville, Kentucky to attend Southern Seminary. And uh, Chad is essentially finished. He's got a couple more online classes to do, but the vast majority of his work is done. And so Chad and Dandy, Sky and Dylan, and a third, uh, Seven, I call him Sevy, I think, but um, are back in town and looking to see what is next for them. And so I asked Chad to come and to preach, to kind of close out this I Am series. Um, many of you know uh, Chad's parents, Will and Vicki Hussey, are in our church, as well as Chad's brother, Chase, and his wife, Gabby, and their little girl. So anyway, let's give a warm welcome to Chad Hussey. Good morning. I got to tell you guys, I was pretty confident that uh, I was going to be all right to do this this morning until I looked over here and saw Dave and Diane Miller sitting here square and center, and they made me cry. And so I've already cried this morning, and we'll see if I can make it without crying anymore. Uh, we've been gone a long time, and uh, it's great to be home. So first and foremost, before we get started, I want to uh, rush to thank you guys for, uh, for everything. Um, this church has been uh, extremely transformative in the life of my family um, in more ways than I have time to recount right here. But uh, I can just tell you that uh, the pastors here have been spiritual fathers to me, and uh, I consider it a tremendous honor to be able to stand up here before you guys today. Um, for the last seven weeks, we've been in the I Am Sermon series, and we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? And I think more appropriately, we've been asking, who does Jesus say he is? And so very appropriately in our passage today, we'll see that the Jews uh, of Jesus' time were asking the same question. They uh, put it to him directly saying, who do you make yourself out to be? And uh, we'll see that... Um, for the last two millennia, this question has dominated the world, the question, who is this man? And so for the last seven weeks, we've been examining the seven distinct I am statements of Jesus, and today I've been given the privilege of concluding this sermon series by asking, uh, by taking us to one last I am statement, a statement that clearly communicates Jesus' identity, and uh, let's pray, and then We'll get after it. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to open our Bibles and to hear your very words. Lord, you number the stars in the sky and even the hairs on our very heads. From eternity past, you know us by name. You tell us that your sheep hear your voice and they recognize and praise your name. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice. Stir our affections for you. I pray that our time together this morning would bring great glory to your name. 
It's by the aid of your Spirit and in the matchless authority of your Son, Jesus Christ, to you, Father, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure at some point everybody has heard the story of Helen Keller. She was a prolific author, an activist, and a lecturer, a prominent voice in many historic movements, and a great inspirational figure. But as you probably know, she's most well-known for the way that she uh, faced challenges that stem from an illness that she had as a small child. This illness left her both deaf and blind. And remarkably, when she was 10 years old, a teacher named Ann Sullivan taught her to communicate by spelling words onto Keller's hands. And by doing that, Keller was able to learn the alphabet and was able to learn words. And by learning to identify things and by learning to give things names, this was transformative for Keller. It was incredibly powerful for her. And even more remarkably than that, uh, Sullivan introduced Keller to a pastor named Phillips, Phillips Brooks, who is a famous pastor. He's also famous for writing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And Beth uh, Brooks introduced Keller to, uh, to Jesus. And what's, uh, what's amazing is that Heller, uh, Keller responded, I knew about God before you told me, only I didn't know his name. This girl, who was both deaf and blind, said, I always knew he was there. I just didn't know his name. So what we're going to see today is that God has a distinct identity. Our Lord has a very specific name, and there is power in his name. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, 31. What we're going to see here in John chapter 8 is that Jesus is calling out a stark comparison between two types of people in the world, and the passage hinges at a crucial question that the non-believing Jews pose to Jesus in verse 53. They say, who do you make yourself out to be? And we'll see Jesus will pull no punches in giving them a very direct and loaded answer. So that's where we're headed. As we work through the passage, we're going to see how Jesus answers three crucial questions we have. First, who am I? As in, who are we? Who are you and I? Second, who is Jesus? Who has he told us that he is? And third, who am I in Jesus? What is my identity? What is my condition? What is my confidence? And what and who is he calling me to be? So three points. Who am I? Who is Jesus? And who am I in Jesus? Now right then, beginning in John 8:31 of the matchless, inspired, and inerrant word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So right up front, we have to address this issue of slavery and freedom. And to get to the point of what Jesus is really saying here, we have to answer this question, what is freedom? 
We have to define what freedom is and not our idea of red, white, and blue painted American freedom, but freedom in the sense that Christ defines it. You see, we have this idea in America and in the West in general that freedom means sovereignty or absolute and total autonomy and independence, that it means that no one should have any uninvited influence over what I say or do. And I want to push back on that, and I want to argue that this kind of freedom is actually a myth. There is no, th no such thing as absolute and total autonomy. No one is or has ever been completely autonomous. You see, we are communal people. We are created for relationship. We are born into families and communities. Even Aristotle, a Greek philosopher before the time of Christ, recognized that humans are meant to live in community. He said, a man without a community is not human. He's either a god or he is a beast. Because man is created for relationship. And separation from others and total dependence is not just lonely, it is dehumanizing. And God created us this way. He looked upon solitary Adam and he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And what that means is that we aren't meant to live completely independently of the influence of others. It means we don't live in a vacuum. Our decisions affect other people. They have ramifications and they have consequences. We have influence over others and we have a responsibility and accountability to others and they have influence over us. And this is all merely in the human realm before we ever even get to recognizing and acknowledging that we have a sovereign creator who is ruler over all. He's ruler over the created order and he has the final say over everything. So I want to again say, there is no such thing as this myth of absolute liberty. Secondarily, we don't actually want this definition of freedom. Because if you follow it to its logical end, what you actually get is anarchy. And a society of anarchy, where everyone does what is right in his own eyes, devolves into chaos. And no one flourishes in chaos. We choose to live in societies with structure and laws because having those structures in place provides the order, peace, and the freedom to flourish and thrive. And that's the kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about here. Christ is saying, you will be free. I will set you free from the chains of sin and wickedness. And then he will empower us to live into his will. He says, if you abide in me, my provision and my word and my will are the structure out of which you can experience peace and flourishing and freedom for which you were made. So immediately we see Jesus is setting up a contrast between these two types of people in terms of freedom and slavery. The two types of people in this scene represent the two types of people in the world. Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And immediately, this lets us know there's one type of people in the world who are enslaved by sin. Romans 6.18 tells us that the other type of people in the world, those who are free, are free because they have died to self and they have taken upon them the yoke of Christ. They are slaves to righteousness. As we've established, there is no autonomy. Everyone has accountability and ultimately answers to someone. So those who choose Christ are slaves to righteousness. These disciples who believe in verse 31... They abide in the word. They are truly 
disciples. They are sons and daughters of Christ, heirs of life. They are those who Christ says are free indeed. Because what happens when we abide in Christ is we are saved from the guilt of our sins by his death on the cross, yes. But we are also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, set free from the clutches of sin, and we become imitators of Christ. And Christ is the paradigm model for humanity. In imitating Christ, we live into the fullness of our humanity. We fall into the harmony in our purpose for which God has created us to fit into his perfect order. And in this, we have freedom. This is the first type. Those who abide in Christ and are freed from enslavement to sin, whose names are written in his book of life. The second type, the unbelieving slaves to sin. Picking up in verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you, not, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And so we see this second type. Slaves to sin are actually sons of the devil. And in Jesus' own words, heirs of death, slaves to sin, the wages of sin is death. These unbelievers, they don't realize that they are sons of the devil. Those who reject Christ don't realize they've given their allegiance to rebellion. And these Hebrews are actually convinced that they're worshiping God. They say, we are sons of God, but they don't recognize Christ. And worshiping a God that isn't the one true God, or worshiping a God that we make up as we go along, and not knowing God rightly is the equivalent of worshiping an idol. And we become like what we worship. Unbeknownst to them, these Jews, very confident in their beliefs and in their righteousness, have wills bound to Satan's desires. They worship this God of their own creation, which binds them to rebellion against the true God. And you may say to me, you know, I don't know that I fit into one of these two categories. I prefer to play it cool. As far as religions go, uh, I'm open-minded, I'm accepting, and I'm not committed one way or the other. I just believe in being a good person and letting God sort out the rest. I just want you to understand that Jesus is saying here, you don't get to sit this decision out. There is no spiritual sideline. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. There are two types of people. Those who choose the things of God that he has revealed in Christ and those who reject them. And this is true for every person. And you don't have to take my word for it. Skip down with me to verse 47. 
Jesus says to the unbelievers, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus says himself, those who don't hear the words of Christ are not of God. They are in rebellion. They are slaves to sin and their names are not in his book of life. And so that sums up our first point, answering the question, who are we? We've seen the two types of people, believing and unbelieving, represented in this story by Christ's disciples on the one hand and the unbelieving, self-confident Jews on the other, representing for us those who humbly hear and submit to the words of Christ and those who instead give their allegiance to another. They reject Christ and who he says he is, which leads us to our second question. Who has Jesus said he is? Dropping down to verse 51, Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And here is the key question. The unbelieving Jews increasingly angered challenging Jesus. They ask him, who do you make yourself out to be? Rephrased, just who do you think you are? Well, in answering that question, many people make many claims about who Jesus is. Some believe him to have been a brilliant teacher, philosopher, a sage, a rabbi. Thomas Jefferson, for instance, a philosophical Rationalist, he called Jesus' teaching the essence of true religion. But he couldn't handle the idea of the supernatural. And so he cut out all of the miracles, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. He took a razor to his Bible and he cut them out and he devoted himself purely to Jesus' moral teaching. We have a lot of people in America that are like Thomas Jefferson, maybe less deliberate, Maybe they're not taking scissors to their Bibles and cutting them apart, but they do pick and choose what parts of their Bible they want to affirm, and they pick and choose what words of Jesus they want to listen to rather than hearing him for himself. Some believe Jesus to be a prophet. The Muslims, for instance, believe Jesus to be like Moses and Muhammad, but they don't believe Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, they don't believe Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And by their own account, there is no atonement for sin in the Muslim religion. The Mormons believe Jesus is one of us, but he's our elder brother, a man who became a god and charted the path that we should follow so that we too can do like him and become gods ourselves. And this is not a new phenomenon that people have a broad swath of ideas about who Jesus is. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father 
who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, there are those who, not, who are not Christian who would affirm that Jesus was the Son of God, but they say that he was created by God, or they say that he was a mere man who grew to be a God. But now listen to what Jesus says about himself. Listen to who Jesus says he is. Picking up in the text in verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Jesus tells them his name. For himself, he takes the name, I am, in the Greek, which is what this was originally written in, you may not be familiar with it. It says, ego me." Remember that phrase, ego amin. It means, I am he, or I even I am. Or maybe you've heard this one, I am that I am, or I am who I am. Ego me." Jesus is saying, irrespective of time, I exist, and I eternally am the all-powerful I am. Before the time of Christ, the world was Hellenized. That is, it was made Greek. And a prestigious group of Hebrew scholars saw the need of a Greek translation for the Old Testament. And so they took the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and they translated it into Greek. And this translation is called the Septuagint. And it was widely used by the Hebrews in Jesus' time. Many of the New Testament authors in your Bible quote from it. Well, when these Septuagint translators came to Exodus 3.14, when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses asks, who shall I tell them has sent me? In our Bibles in English it says, I am that I am, or I am who I am. In Hebrew, you probably recognize this one. It says, Yahweh, the name of God. But can you guess what phrase those Greek translators translated Yahweh into Greek? They rendered it, ego, me. So there's no mistaking here in verse 58 when Jesus says, ego, me, I am. He's pointing directly to the burning bush and to the name of God. And he's taking the name of God for himself and he's saying, I am that I am before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. Not I was Yahweh, not I will be Yahweh, but I am eternally Yahweh. The one true God among which there is no other. The significance of the name Yahweh is immeasurable in Hebrew culture. This was a name that the Jews dared not even utter for fear of blaspheming and breaking the third commandment. And here Jesus claims this name for himself. This is the name by which God identified himself to the Jews from the very beginning. From the time of Adam's son Seth, Genesis 4.26, to Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enosh, and at that time, people began to call upon the name Yahweh. Genesis 14, 22, while Abraham is still Abram, 
and he received the blessing of God's priest Melchizedek, Abraham says, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh. Isaac prayed to Yahweh, Genesis 25, 21. Genesis 28, 23, God declares to Jacob, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So by the time God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses says, when I go to the people, if they ask your name, what should I tell them? God responds, tell them I am that I am. Tell them Yahweh has sent you, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of all generations. The Jewish people had a long, historic, and intimate knowledge of the name and person of Yahweh. And here Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. The God known to you from the time of Adam, that's my name. Jesus reveals he has a name and his name is Yahweh. He explains in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 14.9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is me. Jesus is God, eternally co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one inseparable essence. In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this means that when God created the world, Jesus was there. And when Abraham and Moses and the prophets looked upon God and saw his glory, they saw Jesus, the eternal son, not just eternity future, but one with the Father all the way into eternity past. Because the Son is the Word of God become flesh. The radiance of His glory, Hebrews 1.3, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him, that is by his sustaining power, all things hold together. This means that Jesus is God, and always is, and always was. Jesus claims for himself that he is Yahweh, the second member of the Trinity. Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, humbling himself to the Father's will and plan to the point of death. Jesus has identified himself for us. He has revealed to us his name. Before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. And here's the warning for us. We, you and I, are worshiping beings. We are created for worship and guaranteed we will worship something. Worshiping a God that we don't know rightly or that we make up as we go as the Jews in this passage had done. It's the equivalent of worshiping an idol. It's giving our allegiance to another. But God has revealed to us his name and his character and he has given us the means to know him by seeking him and abiding in his word. So what then does it mean that Jesus is Yahweh? Well, it means, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a single inch 
in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. Psalm 50.12, The world is mine and all that is in it. It means that when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. He makes these claims with the power and authority of Yahweh, the one true and living God. The fact that Jesus is the I am, that he is Yahweh, is what gives him the authority and the ability to make these claims. And it's also what gives us the confidence to believe in his power to uphold them. Which brings us to our third and final question. Who am I in Jesus? C.S. Lewis said, there's a very foolish thing people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And Lewis says, that is the one thing that you cannot intelligently say. Because a man who was merely a man who said the things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic or he would be the very devil of hell. And you make your choice. Great moral teachers don't make claims to be the God of the universe. Taking Jesus at his own words, we have to acknowledge he is either God, he is a lunatic, or he is a liar. And so we've heard who Jesus is in his own words, and now you have to decide, who is Jesus in your words? Is he God? Is he a lunatic? Or is he a liar? Because if you call him anything other than God, you're rejecting the real Jesus in his own terms, and you're rejecting his lordship. And by his account, you're in the same position as these enslaved unbelievers in this passage whom he calls sons of the devil. Back to the text, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so there's their decision. They picked up stones to kill him. And we have the same decision it's a choice every one of us faces. And for some of you, maybe you, you haven't heard much about Christ, and others of you, maybe the world has told you many things that they believe about him. The question today is, who will you be in Christ? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you want to know him? Do you want the real freedom that comes from laying down your so-called independence and becoming his. The Jews here, they take up stones to kill him. And you might say, that's rash. I'm not like that. But think about this. Bruce Milne writes, the vitriol of the Jews here should not surprise us. The human heart is seldom so spiteful as when it perceives its self-esteem threatened. There's almost nothing we will cling to with greater vehemence than the props by which we bolster our self-image and our self-confidence. There is nothing so stubborn as ego and nothing so dangerous. Changing our mind 
receiving correction, admitting we're wrong, relinquishing the idea of independence, admitting that someone else can take better care of us than we can take care of ourselves. It takes a tremendous amount of humility. The inability to humble ourselves and admit we are severely flawed, however, has rash consequences. It takes us to places that we know we don't want to go, and it makes us people that we know we don't want to be. Following demands humility. Abiding demands humility. Faith demands humility. Freedom itself demands humility. Pride squanders all of that. Pride is a root bed for evil. Pride enslaves and robs us of life. Maybe you're saying today, I just don't know. I like Jesus, but I just can't let go of some certain thing or certain aspects of my life and I'm not ready. Or I don't have the confidence or the strength to step into what Christ demands. I have this fear or this anxiety, or this guilt, or this hesitation, or this weakness, or this sin, or this circumstance, or this illness, and you say, I'm just not able. And I would say, that's right. There are so many things that in our power we cannot accomplish. Look at Moses. Moses says, Lord, I can't be your God. I'm not able. And God says, no, you're not, but I am. For all those places that you are not, Jesus says, I am. Where you long for what's right, and you long for peace and to be whole, and where you long to do what's good, and you fail, and you say, Lord, I try, but I'm not able, Jesus says, you're right, you're not, but I am. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied because I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And where you say, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is or what God is doing. And you say, God, I'm not capable of seeing your will or finding my way in it. Christ says, you're right. You're not the light of the world, but I am. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And where you say, how could God love a person like me? Lord, your word says no one is righteous, not one. I am wretched. I'm not worthy of your love or entering into your presence. And Jesus says, you're right. You're not righteous and you're not capable, but I am. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And where you say, I'm fearful. I've been wronged, and you distance yourself from others because you say you can't trust anyone to care for you, and you doubt if anyone is capable. Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and I've laid down my life for you. I know my own. I know you. I know you by name, and you know me. Listen to his voice. His sheep know his voice. Can you hear the call of the I am? Where you say you have to hold on tight and you scratch and you claw to hang on to every moment because and everything because life is too short 
and resources are too precious and you live in fear of calamity and fear of death because you know you're completely unable to stop them. Jesus says, you're right, you are not able, but I am. I control death. Death answers to me. I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives, believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? And where you say your truth is your truth, and my truth is mine, and no one is capable of knowing ultimate truth, Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There is no other truth. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And others of you, you know Jesus. You know he's the great I am. You know you're his and you're going to live joyfully forever in his presence. But maybe you have some lack of clarity about what that means right here and right now. And you're not alone. This is the fight of faith. This is the fight to abide. This is the fight to take hold of Christ, to draw near to him and to know him well by meeting him in his word, by seeking him out in prayer, by experiencing his hands and feet in the world right here in the church and by striving to understand what he would have you do in every moment, because that is worship. We are beings created for worship, and every moment is an opportunity to respond in worship. He who believes in Christ, even yet shall he die, he will never face death. Do you believe this? Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we live by the light of the world that illuminates the way. He allows us to step into dark places without fear because he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies and he turns the hearts of kings where he wills. Do you believe this? While we were once enemies of God, we were bound by the chains of darkness and locked in sin's embrace. Hushed is the mouth of sin and Satan because Christ's blood was spilt to rescue the guilty. We are no longer slaves to sin. The shackles are broken. The chains are falling because the sun sets you free and you will be free indeed. Do you believe this? Be free. All you need to live and thrive is in the true vine. It's not in you and it's not in me and it's not in the world around us. It comes from being attached to the giver of life and it's coming down the vine, sustaining us, grooming us, pruning us, making us whole and perfectly human as God created us to be. Do you believe this? The bread of life, like manna from heaven, his blessings are new each morning, blessing you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you can let go of your anxieties and you can loosen your grip on your need for control. You can stop living in a scarcity mindset that hoards resources. You can let go. And through you, the grace of God can flow like streams of living water and you will have freedom and peace and you will abound in every good work. Do you believe this? Then abide. 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 Abide in Jesus Christ, the I am, the word of the living God. Go back to where we started. Verse 31. 
Jesus says, Abide in my word, and you will truly be my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because Christ is at work all around you. You've seen it with your own eyes. That woman who has cancer has a glow today that she did not have when I left here three years ago. By the grace of God and the power of Christ, she is beautiful and she is modeling strength in Christ for all of us. That brother whose baby was stillborn and he, he and his wife, they sat in that hospital, that hospital bed and they mourned the kind of mourning that you have to experience to understand. He has an unshakable peace in Christ and he is a hospital chaplain now helping others to know the healing power that he knows in Christ. That brother who had a battle with alcohol and he suffered and he felt powerless to be free. He's doing mission work in Africa today. He's proclaiming the freedom he found in Christ to a whole other continent. And that couple whose young marriage was on the rocks and they were rotting from the inside out, tearing each other's lives apart. They love each other more today than they ever have. They become a ministry couple. They do marital counseling. They officiate weddings. And they're seeing marriages saved and souls saved by the uniting and reconciling power that they found in Christ. These are stories you know. And if we all sat here together and we recounted our testimonies and the testimonies of others, we know that we could tell a thousand stories about the power of Jesus Christ. So who are you in Jesus? You are free. You are redeemed. You are a new creation. You are empowered. You are victorious. I want us to live like that. I want to tell the world about that. I want the people around me to experience that. Jesus tells us who we are. And he has revealed to us who he is. He is the great I am. The one who is and who is to come. The one in whom all the promises of God find their yes. There is power in the name of Jesus. And listen. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to know how to, what to do or how to give your life to him, come and talk to one of the pastors or ask somebody around you. I know that there are people here that can point you in the right direction. You can trust that it would be our joy. It would be our absolute joy to help you to know him and to walk with you. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for constantly working all around us. Truly, your mercies are new each morning. Give us eyes to see it, Lord. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us hearts that love your will. Lord, I pray for those who haven't known you yet. I pray that you move them, Lord, to step into freedom and life in your Son. I pray for those who are suffering. I pray you'd be their comfort. I also pray that you'd give us 
all strength and patience and trust and assurance that we could live boldly for you to bless our neighbors and to live with a peace and an intentionality that will bring great glory to your name. And I pray for this church, for this ministry, for this community. I pray for the worship that takes place here. I pray you would give this church great boldness and comfort in the power of your holy name. It's through the aid of your spirit and the matchless authority of your son, Jesus Christ, to you, Father, we pray. Amen. All God's people said, amen. Good job, man.